Social Club. Uh, Joshua Oppenheimer is the director of uh, The Look of Silence, uh, a new feature film of his feature-length documentary playing as part of the New Zealand International Film Festival, and uh, a companion piece, a follow-up uh, to a film that also played uh, at the festival here a few years back uh, called uh, The Act of Killing, both uh, dealing with uh, the communist purges in Indonesia uh, in the mid-1960s and uh, as that uh, suggests aren't necessarily uh, easy-going films uh, but are um, fairly uh, powerful and uh, phenomenal works uh, all the same. It's a pleasure uh, to welcome uh, to New Zealand and to uh, the Tussock Creek Social Club Joshua Oppenheimer. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, great to have you on the programme. Great to be here. The Act of Killing is the most physically affecting film I think I've ever seen. And I think what surprised me about that uh, is that it's by no means the most violent or abject uh, film I've seen. But there's something about the joy in the eyes of the executioner uh, that grabbed my desensitized self uh, by the scruff of the neck and, and gave it a good shake. And I wonder, uh, how do you stay sane making a film like that? I think that... Uh, once you overcome the fear of recognizing that all the perpetrators, indeed every perpetrator of virtually every act of evil in our history as a species, as a human being like us, once you recognize the truth in Primo Levi's statement about Holocaust perpetrators that there may be monsters among us, but they're too few to worry about, that what we really have to worry about are ordinary people. Once you recognize that, you realize that you're doing a very important work by trying to understand how these human beings do, do what they do, how they live with what they've done, and what are the effects of that on all of us. Because you recognize you're uh, on a path towards understanding, and if you're on a path towards understanding, you actually are on the only possible path towards prevention of this kind of atrocity. I think that you, you overcome your fear of looking, and that makes you less, less frightened and stronger. People certainly are frightened, though, in both that film and The Look of Silence. Um, at least half of the crew involved are credited as being anonymous, um, perhaps the most telling signal that making uh, films that question the Indonesian purges even 50 years later is an incredibly risky thing uh, for the locals to do, which begs the question how you get them on board in the first place and how responsible for their safety do you feel? Well, uh, I, I, would point, I would argue that they're not so much frightened as courageous and uh, in participating in the film, uh, keep, keeping them, them anonymous is a precaution. It's part of being, keep being responsible for their safety. So the anonymous crew on the act of killing and the look of silence are people who change their careers, some of them from human rights lawyers, heads of NGOs, university professors, giving 10 years of their lives to make these films, knowing that they couldn't take credit for their work uh, because, until there's real political change in Indonesia because they felt it was that important. And so the idea that they would remain anonymous was something that we understood from the very beginning. Acknowledging that in the credits is the kind of final statement of this film, of these two films saying, look, this, this, these films are not about what happened half a century ago. This is about impunity today and what it means to have a society that's ruled over by perpetrators. I feel very responsible for the part safety of the participants in my film. With the look of silence, we follow a brother 
of a victim, an optometrist who goes and confronts the man who killed his brother, asking them while testing their eyes to take credit for what they've done, and then when they don't, uh, hoping that if they could, he could forgive them and there could be some beginning of reconciliation. None of them uh, acknowledge the, mm. what they've that what they've done was wrong, and they and it, these these confrontations end with threats and with anger. But uh, in making the film, we taught, we we recognized from the very beginning that we would have to be prepared to stop at any point. That the family would have to be prepared to move if we were to release the film. And indeed, that's what's happened. There's a team of uh, 25 people, five of them working full time in Indonesia uh, to monitor the family's safety, to help them relocate to another part of the country, and to make sure that uh, that terrible situation of a family having to move when actually what they're trying to do is to forgive the perpetrators is becomes a kind of opportunity for the family where the children are in better schools, where the fathers, where, where the parents are able to open uh, a, a brick and mortar optometry store rather than going door to door selling glasses. So the work of making a film doesn't end when you stop shooting or when you uh, stop editing. It continues. It's about building a supportive community for everybody involved and taking those responsibilities very, very seriously. Not. I mean, the perpetrators not taking responsibility is uh, the best-case scenario of all the responses you get. It ranges from there right through to um, an almost celebratory mood still, in some cases, uh, around what happened 50 years ago, which I think is the hardest bit to stomach. Yeah, I think that um, in The Look of Silence, uh, Adi visits... You see, I think that the boasting of the perpetrators is like all boasting, defensive. I mean, if you boast or I boast, we, we I'm sure we, we may not be proud that we boast, but I'm sure from time to time we do. We know if you think about the feeling of boasting, it's we are, we are trying to make ourselves look bigger, like, like birds who puff out their feathers to look bigger because they know they're small. And I think that all of the perpetrators I've filmed live their lives in kind of manic flight from a pall of shame that follows them everywhere they go, and maybe they run away from it in their waking hours, they stay a step ahead of it, but when they stop to sleep, it catches up to them and it gives them nightmares. And yet, because they've never been removed from power, and because they know the rest of the world celebrated what they did while they did it, they still have available to them a victor's history that justifies what they've done. And so they do this very human thing of clinging to the story justifying uh, behavior that they might individually know is morally wrong. So they take these bitter, rotten memories of killing, and they try to sugarcoat them in the sweet language of a victor's history that celebrates what they've done. Uh, and that, of course, is the only thing that it, that accounts for two things. It accounts for why they inevitably are, I mean, why they're boasting so strangely about the worst details, about the most grisly details. Uh, it, it's because those are the, those are the hard, most bitter memories for them to swallow. Those are the uh, memories in most urgent need of sugarcoating. And it also accounts for why they become so terribly upset when Adi confronts them, the main character in the film. He goes and he looks at them with this humanizing gaze, saying, look, if you can acknowledge what you've done, I can forgive, I, because I see you as a human being separate from your crime. And they have to return that gaze. It doesn't make it any easier for them, the idea that they might be forgiven. It makes it harder, because they then see that Adi's brother, Romley, their victim was a human being, and by extension, all of their uh, victims were human beings. And the, 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 the 
lies that constitute this armor that allows them to live with what they've done, to protect themselves from the moral meaning of what they've done. This, these come, this come, they come crumbling down, and you see them panic. You see them get angry, to, uh, threaten, and you also see them scrambling about for new lies. They deny mm. responsibility, responsibility that just moments earlier they'd been declaring and, and celebrating. Yeah, that, that gaze of Artie's is a very powerful one. I mean, not not dispassionate, but but often unflinching. I mean, his stoicism, his you know, look of silence, is is an intense one, and and probably the most powerful thing in the film for me, which is saying something given the nature of some of the events uh, that are being discussed. I think that, that that's inevitable, and I'm very glad you say that. I mean, I think that the the, the audience is seeing these events through Adi's eyes. Adi's gaze is reframing these events. And that's, of course, why the film has had this impact, the impact that it's had inside Indonesia. It's because the whole country is looking now at this boasting of the perpetrators that has been part of a regime of fear. I mean, if you imagine perpetrators of mass murder boasting to their neighbors, boasting to their to, to their students, boasting to the public about what they've done. That keeps people in the grips of fear. It keeps people afraid. And suddenly to have uh, this opportunity to revisit that, this boasting that you know is everywhere in a way, but through the, uh, the this, this uh, unflinching, uh, undaunted gaze that sees it for what it is, that gives the lie to the whole victor's history. It gives the lie to the whole... Uh, regimes claim that this was justified and opens the floodgates to a movement for truth, reconciliation, and justice. That's been the impact of the uh, of the film inside Indonesia, and I think that the that it's it's the key to why uh, the film is impactful for viewers around the world. Yeah, I, I was going to ask then how I mean, I, I guess particularly the act of killing was received. Um, because it can't have been, it can't have gone down so badly that you were able to keep making films in that country, in, in, a, in a country where, as you say, the perpetrators of 50 years ago still hold a lot of sway. Uh, were they not amused um, by your work to any significant degree? I, I can't imagine it would be that difficult for them to stop you if they really put their minds to it. Well, I, I, actually, we shot the look of silence after I edited the act of killing, but before it had its first screenings, uh, because I knew once it had its first screenings, I would be un- unlikely to be able to return to Indonesia at all. <laughs> and that was the key. When, when I returned in 2000, early 2012 to shoot the look of silence, Adi Rukun said to me, I've spent seven years watching your footage of the perpetrators. I need to meet them. At which point I said, I need to confront them, particularly the men who killed my brother and i said immediately absolutely not it's too dangerous i said there has never been a film before where survivors confront perpetrators who still hold a monopoly on power if we did this it would be the first time and we aren't going to do it because it's too dangerous there's a good reason why this hasn't been done before but then i went back and i spoke then adi explained to me why he wanted to do this he said that this was the only way he could imagine building a few leaving his children a future where they need not live in the same prison of fear that his family's been uh, living in. They would be able to live with, if he could reconcile his family with the families of the perpetrators, his children could grow up no longer afraid of their neighbors. I was moved by this, but also doubtful the perpetrators would ever apologize, but moved enough that I discussed it with my Indonesian crew, and they said, Joshua, the production of the act of killing 
was famous across this region. I mean, the shooting of it was famous. People, uh, the Indonesian talk show, uh, state television produced a talk show, which is in the film, celebrating the production of the film while we were still shooting it, because the most powerful men in the country were participating in the film. The vice president, ministers in the cabinet, uh, national paramilitary leaders. And because of this, uh, my crew reminded me, because no one's seen the film yet, you, people still believe you're close to these high-ranking officials and uh, powerful per- perpetrators. And the men Adi wants to confront are regionally, not nationally powerful. And they will not dare even detain you guys, let alone physically attack you, because they won't want uh, to offend their superiors whom they still believe are your friends. So that was how we were able to make, uh, to shoot this film safely. But uh, beyond that, the act of killing did go on to, to help to sort of help catalyze a fundamental transformation in how the media and the public talk about the past. The mainstream media, as a result of the act of killing in Indonesia, started to talk about the genocide as a genocide to produce in-depth investigative reports about the killings, to devote double editions of the nation's leading news magazine uh, to to the films and to and to the genocide and to the, prep, the power of the perpetrators, and to discuss the media started to discuss the terrible regime the perpetrators have built, the corruption, the violence, the fear that prevails across Indonesia still today. And uh, this is what opened the space for the look of silence. The act of killing, like the child in the emperor's new clothes, said, look at what happened and look at the awful consequences for the present and things that everybody already knew about but had been too afraid to talk about. And the look of silence has come like a second child in the emperor's new clothes, saying, and look at the prison of fear in which we're being asked to raise our children. This is intolerable. We have to, we have to uh, move for truth, reconciliation, a national apology, and justice. That must be incredibly satisfying as a filmmaker to have that kind of impact, because I've, I'm always interested in what motivi- motivates war correspondents reporting from the front lines of armed conflict, and I would argue that uh, what you're doing to to a degree is in that similar vein. Um, But, you know, it would appear that what you set out to achieve is slowly happening. I I think that I always had a hope that the films would make this kind of impact, but I didn't ever believe they would, practically speaking. You know, you, the two films are dark, almost fever dreams, and the, the act of killing is a kind of fever dream, the look of silence, a kind of lament. And you wouldn't make films that are so sort of unflinching uh, in the, about, about humanity's problems if you were an optimist, if you had a kind of sunny outlook towards the future. (laughs) But on the other hand, you wouldn't bother, and you wouldn't give your youth to this kind of work if you didn't have a hope. And the hope takes a kind of weird form. It takes the form of, like, planting a seed that you never know when it will... Uh, when it will take root and whether when, when it will sprout when it will grow and make change and I think that the fact that the the, the fact that the soil in Indonesia the context in Indonesia was uh, was fertile and ready for this and that immediately these two films have ca- helped catalyze such tremendous change that is that has been truly humbling and a great honor and the best part of releasing these two films do you think, I mean, you haven't been back since? I, I haven't been back, and despite the change, <laughs> there is still a pair, you know, I mean, the, the Indone- one of the things the Look of Silence has done, and it's, or rather its release in Indonesia has done, is reveal 
fault lines within what we call the Indonesian government. So uh, the act, the look of silence is distributed by two government bodies, the National Human Rights Commission and the Jakarta Arts Council. It's screened publicly over 3,500 times, and it's been celebrated as the film of the year by most of the Indonesian media last year. But at the same time, uh, it's that its publicity has generated a kind of backlash from the shadow state that's built around the army. You see, the army has is formally above the law in Indonesia, despite the military dictatorship having formally ended. Uh, if, if a military t- commander orders the massacre of an entire town, he cannot be put on trial in a civilian court. The military would have to conv- decide to put to convene a military tribunal means it's essentially, formally, uh, fundamentally above the law. And that enables the military to use paramilitary groups with impunity to do their dirty work and to uh, exploit a range of intelligence organizations to do do their dirty work in secret. And this shadow state uh, at the service of oligarchs who've enriched themselves through the mili- their proximity to the military, di- the Suharto dictatorship, uh, they, they, it, it, it is in place. And while uh, the public is increasingly vocal in part as a result of these two films on the need for change, the need for reform, the need to an end, for an end to this kind of impunity, it's still there. And so everybody who knows the situation in Indonesia says, while I could probably get into Indonesia safely, I may not get out alive, and so I, I don't return at this point. Would that be a watershed moment for you, were you to be in a position to go back safely? Do oh, you think? yes, and also it would be, because these two films are kind of my love letter to Indonesia. I, I, and it would also be a, a dream come true to be able to cut off the credit scroll at the end of the films and put on a new one where everybody's name is listed. Yeah. Uh, Joshua Oppenheimer, director of uh, The Act of Killing and The Look of Silence. Um, Thank you so much for taking time to chat to us on the program this afternoon. Really appreciate that. Thank you very much for having me on. And enjoy the rest of your stay in our fine country. Thank you. It's a beautiful place.